When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Ah, the holidays. A time for giving, a time for getting, and a time for going and going. And going and going and going and going. When you need a break, we're here, helping you make sense of all the good and the going of the holidays. Happy holidays from all of us at UBNRadio.com. want to welcome you to um, a conversation that we've been having for the last 30 minutes. Um, we would love to welcome uh, retired Chief Ronnie Williams to the Real Woman Let's Talk radio show. Absolutely. And I tell you, we have, John and I have just sat here, and we've had some eye-opening conversation in the last 30 minutes. Is that correct? So I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, but... I want to also thank our followers and listeners for hitting me up on Facebook and LinkedIn and telling me that you're really excited about today's show because I am too. Um, Although um, Chief Ronnie and I go back years and years and years and years, this is his expertise. And that's why I brought him on the show because there's so many things going on in this world that um, for us is a question mark. But let me just tell you... um, as Chief of Field Operations Region 2, he managed the fiscal and material resources of that region. He managed personnel issues of over 1,800 personnel, and he managed a multi-million dollar budget, supervising uh, patrol stations in Carson, Compton, Lomita, Century, Lenox, Marina Del Rey, and West Hollywood service stations. So listen, he comes with 34 plus years of police service. So who else would we ask the hard questions? So we welcome you, Chief. Thank you. We're so glad you're here. 
And feel here. free, John, can you give um, our, our listeners um, the, the number in case someone wants to call in and ask a particular question? Sure thing. The phone number is 323-843-2826. Again, 323-843-2826. Very good. Now, we're going to get right into what uh, we've been talking already, but I kind of want um, people to understand that we're living in a different kind of climate out there. Um, and before Chief leaves today, he's going to kind of talk to you from the grassroots if you ever find yourself in a particular situation so that you can remember and you can help other people that you know. Because for those of us who were raised right here in the state of California in the city of Los Angeles, we didn't hear about people getting shot every day. Every And now, right now, um, Chief, every day I stop looking because it's every day. Yes, it is. So tell us a little bit about yourself growing up in L.A., as I know you did, because so many people on Facebook said, I knew him from Mount Carmel and yada, yada, yada. So he's a city boy. He's been from right around here with his beautiful wife, Sharon, and he'll talk about his boys and everything as as we go along. But tell us what would make you, 34-plus years ago, decide to want to be in the police department? Well, that wasn't my first choice. My first choice was uh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> uh, my first choice was to play uh, a long career in pro baseball. Hey, why not? But you have to have a, a plan B all the time Absolutely. in college. And I met a uh, uh, African American young guy by the, the name of Lamar Blevins in college, mm. and he says, "If baseball doesn't work out, uh, we need folks like you on the L.A. County Sheriff's Department." So when baseball ended uh, and I was taking some criminal justice classes along with sociology, I, um, I decided to uh, take that route and, and join the L.A. County Sheriff's Department um, in October 15, 1973. It was my first day. Wow. Good for you. Good for you. I mean, um, when we look back, Ronnie, on um, reasons why you did that kind of thing, what are some of the differences you see, some of the differences that you see um, happening in where we live now? Well, uh, several years ago, and I, I know I'm dating myself, but uh, when uh, I was a captain, uh, give you for instance, in Altadena, uh, we, we did a, a survey of the community to find out uh, what was important to the community, mm-hmm. what, uh, what did they feel was uh, the issues in their community. And we did this uh, a survey for two weeks, seven days a week, to get a pulse of the community and what was important. Wait a minute. Are you telling us that the police actually wanted to know what the community wanted to know and what they needed? That is the way you're supposed to police. Wow. Uh, you're supposed to police, and, and they're supposed to tell you their needs. You're not supposed to be an occupying force. Mm where you tell the community their okay, needs. Okay, okay. Uh, so we went around and did the survey and found out uh, in in different areas of the community there were different issues. Mm-hmm. In, in one area, the issue was gangs. Another area, the issue was narcotics. In another area, the issue was traffic. Okay. So we want to deal with those areas and deal with those issues and, and, and have a partnership with the community uh, to solve those issues wow. and to in, in, increase their quality uh, of life. You said partnership. Yes. Yeah, that, I mean, we're so far from that today. What do you say, John? 
we are so far from partnership where the police are concerned, you know, right now, any of those um, uh, governing bodies, you know, be it sheriff, be it police, I don't, whatever they, they do, no one wants to be bothered with them now. Well, you know, the, the thing is, it's like your house. Uh, you don't want anybody coming in your house telling you what to do in your house. Right. It, it, it's not feasible. Right. So it, it's the same in the community. Your working patrol, you want the people to tell you what the issues are. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. My training officer, Curtis Howard, told me when he was training me at Lenox, he says, uh, you work an area like you'd want that area if you live there, and you talk to people like you'd want your mother and father, your sister and brother to talk to. Wow. And and that's the way he taught me how to, to work patrol. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that uh, the the law enforcement agencies now nowadays have gotten away from uh, communicating with uh, the community, from having partnerships with the community, right. uh, from uh, being very transparent with the community mm-hmm. as about uh, their organization and, and, and how their organization works. Right. Uh, they've gotten away from that. They're going back to uh, just suppression. There's no prevention. There's no intervention. We're just going to suppress. We're going to take people to jail. And trust me, 34-plus years, that doesn't work. Right. Obviously, it's not working. And and you just answered my next question. Some of the things that have changed, you said there's there's a lack of communication. There's a lack of transparency. And those are key elements um, when police officers are in a community. Plus, it's really important when most of the time police officers don't live in that community. Right. Uh, They live several miles away from that community. They just come in to work that community. And if you don't have transparency, if you don't have the ability to communicate with people and don't establish those type of relationships, you're not going to be successful in policing that community. Right. You're just not. You know, I think back to, um, you know, growing up with the Mayberry generation, okay, and how Andy was the sheriff and how he knew every person. He knew their dog. If the dog was missing, he knew. They knew everything about what was going on in that Mayberry. And I grew up with police officers on our street. And so because we had police officers on our street, we didn't have to worry about anybody breaking in. We didn't have to worry about, you know, a crime rate that was, you know, over the top. But now, like you just mentioned, Police officers, not only they don't live in the community, they only go to work to go to work. Yeah. There's no relationship. There's no transparency. There's no communication. It's just a job. Yeah. And if you don't have that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, you know, the programs that were important, we, we had um, uh, citizen academies and clergy academies where we would uh, have 20 to, to 30 people in these academies uh teaching them everything about our organization. Mm-hmm. Where do people come from? Uh, from In, the community. Okay. From the community. Uh, uh-huh. uh, the clergy academies were for pastors and, and, and deacons and deaconesses, uh, and the citizen community, uh, citizens academies were from uh, uh, community people. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd give these academies that were about 12 weeks long, and we'd have uh, guest speakers from all parts of our organization that would come in and and tell and teach uh, uh, these people everything about our organization. In other words, they would get the pulse of yes. what's going on in the police department. Yeah, and right. we, when we would have, <clears throat> in effect, uh, 
uh, a an, an ambassador of the community wow. uh, that was right there in the neighborhood because mm-hmm. he knew everything about our organization. Mm-hmm. I mean, we even put uh, uh, the the people that went to our academy, we put their p- pictures up in the, the station. Wow. So when they came into the station, the deputies and everybody, all the personnel would know who these people are. But the real plus in this is uh, if one of their neighbors were, had some interaction with one of our police officers and didn't feel that something was right mm-hmm. but didn't feel comfortable about coming to us, they would go to their neighbor who had been mm-hmm. in that citizen academy or go to their pastor who had been in their clergy academy and ask them. Wow. And, and that pastor would uh, come back to us and say, you know, this happened. Yeah. You, you need to deal with this. Yeah. And, and you'd have that free flowing uh, of communication, and you you would have uh, people uh, more trusting and communicating with right. us. Well, you know, <clears throat> like we're talking about, you know, we don't have police officers in our neighborhoods as much anymore. Or if they do live there, we don't know who they are, you know, because whatever the reason. And then you you said something about pastors. You know, the the whole role of the pastor has changed. It's not. I don't know. <clears throat> Um, why it's changed, but I remember growing up under Dr. John L. Branham, and he lived in the neighborhood where everybody lived, and he knew everybody, and we were what you would call mega church at the time, but you got to have a heart for the people, you know, and so when when the pastors are changing and the police are changing, and then that causes what? The communities to change. Yeah, and and that's true, and and the pastors have to, to understand that uh, they are representatives of the community. These same people that are, are victims of crime uh, or, or are, are harassed or, or abused by gang members or mm-hmm. other thugs, they're the same people that go to their church. Uh, they are. Yeah. But but the, the relationships, meaning communication, open communications aren't there unless a pastor feels like he's going to get on TV. Okay, then he's going to pull up the little parishioner and say, come on, let's get the Channel 2 or 3 News or whatever it is in. But it, it's not coming from the heart. So all these things are changing at the foundational level, which means what? We don't have foundation anymore. There's no foundation. Yeah, we, we don't have the, that communication is so important. That's key, yes. Uh, that they we establish that with our communities, and they don't see us all the time just in – in, in in taking baby or day day to jail exactly and then driving off in into the sunset to the station and right. that's the only time they see us uh you know they need to see us and and, and talk to us establish a re- relationships with us to solve issues and increase right. the quality of life you can't just arrest your way out of something right. it just does not work obviously that's what we are that's why we're here today because those kinds of um tactics are not working and you know you ask any um educator that's worth their salt and they know that they are building more prisons than they are schools and they're building schools you know crazy right now but on the engineers paperwork there's prisons being built faster so what is that saying to us? That they know that if a child, um, the the gentleman who did the movie uh, Waiting on Superman, I can't think of his name right now, but he's out of New York. He did this whole spectrum about what's going on in our system with our young children, you know, whether it's um, 
no father in the home or foster care, whatever it is. But because of that, they have started building um, prisons because they feel like a child can tell them whether they're going to jail by the third grade. By the third grade. Now, he put lots and lots of money into this movie. And when I got got it to see it, I said, oh, yes, we're going. We're going to go right here in uh, Sherman Oaks. We're going to see it. There were four people in the theater. So what is that saying to us as a community? So we can't blame everything on the police. It's it's where the pulse is. Again, we're talking about pulse. People know what's going on. So when we think about more prisons being built than schools, then we understand, not that it's good, why we're in a climate like we are. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, community apathy is the issue. Yeah. Because, uh, it, but it's been an issue throughout my career. I mean, I'd go to burglary calls where the neighbor next door knew that the people were taking stuff out of another person's house and didn't call. Wow. Uh, the the person. Yeah, some of the onus has to be on the community. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, being apathetic uh, doesn't solve the issue. Right. But I think a lot of that when you when you put in the fear. And of reprisal, the the fear of being quoted, quote unquote, a snitch. Oh, yeah. uh, I know who brought that. Who like, brought that song out? Some one of those rappers brought a song out about don't be a snitch or no, something. Yeah, no snitching. And, right, and everybody took that to heart. Yeah, you know, they it, even made a T-shirt, no snitch. Yes, right. <laughs> or or snitches, snitches, whatever Get they call it. Yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, but that's not um, that's not where we we are, and that's not how we get further. Because the key is, you know, you reap what you sow. Yes. Really, that's just it. So, um, Chief, you know, when we think about police departments, and I, like most people, think that they're all created equal. It's like you build them, they have cars, you train the people, and, you you know, you do the kinds of things that you're supposed to do. But nowadays it doesn't seem like that. It just seems like something's different going on here in Texas and something else is going on here in L.A. So... Where are we missing it as a community when it comes to the police department, the sheriff department, or whatever is in our area? Well, each state has their own uh, standards and training. Okay. Uh, California is one of the best trained law enforcement agencies uh, in the United States, and we still have issues. We still (laughs) make uh, bad decisions. Mm -hmm. We still make mistakes. Now, you look at other parts of the nation where their police officers are not as highly trained, mm-hmm. and you factor in the mistakes they're making right. and the issues they have, you, you see the problem. Uh, you know, there's different uh, uh, academies. There's different quality of training. There's mm-hmm. uh, different expertise in training, and... Uh, not all of them are created equal. Uh, some of the law enforcement agencies throughout the United States actually are very poorly trained. I, yeah. And, and, and their their whole organizational structure is highly flawed, mm-hmm. and they, they need to make changes. And you see uh, a small department like the Ferguson Police Department. Exactly. Uh, the standard in a big or small police department is set by the people at the top. Mm -hmm. The police chief or the sheriff, that's where the standard is set. Mm -hmm. And the people, he he tells the people, this is what I will allow and this is what I won't allow. Mm -hmm. And and then he'll tell them the importance of communicating with people 
and establishing that with the community. Mm-hmm. If you don't see that, that's because that's that's not at the top. Right. They don't preach well, that at sh- the top. <laughs> we, yeah, that's a, uh, that's obvious. When we think about right now with the onslaught of violence against Afri- against African Americans, especially males, right now. Um, don't get me wrong. I know it's not something that just started, you know, a month ago. I know it. <clears throat> I also know, and we've talked about on this show, that um, um, the Internet and Twitter and TV and media has a lot to do with how we see things now. Um, they've played um, Eric's I Can't Breathe. Somebody told me something like 700,000 times. Yeah. 700,000 times. So... When you keep seeing that and seeing that over and over and you see how helpless he was, that creates something in any human being, you know, black, white, pink, or purple. It doesn't matter. But this is my question again to you. There is an unbridled and uncorrected restraint right now from certain officers. And while police are, I'm talking about all over the United States. John, do you agree? I do. And while I know you have a, you're a father of three African-American men, and you don't have all the answers, but with your career expertise, what are your thoughts when the mother of any of these young people who um, have been murdered mercifully, that's exactly what it is, it's murdered, and then there's, there's um, nothing done to the people that um, have created these challenges? Uh, it, it makes me not want to tell people what I did for a living mm-hmm. for 34 and a half wow. years. Wow, wow. Um, yeah. It, it, it's, uh, like you said, I, I have three boys, mm-hmm. three outstanding young men, mm-hmm. you know, Eric, Lamar, and, and Sean. They're, they're my life. Uh, and, and I tell them how, how to be safe. But, you know, the um, California and, and or any state in in in, in United States uh, usually have 5% uh problem officers oh wow that's a big percentage you know five percent but you know it's almost like an acceptable rate of five percent because then you have 95 percent of people that are doing the right thing okay so but those five percent are constant and those five percent can create a lot of havoc in a community and cost uh the the city or county a lot of money in, in, in in lawsuits and I think a lot of times is uh, not only training, you know, people have always talked about, well, you need to be retrained. It, I know, because what does that really mean? Yeah. When I say that, this is what I'm saying. You know, if, if somebody says, um, okay, you shot and killed that person or you choked that person, you should have, we're going to retrain you. You can't retrain that brain. You cannot. That's innately a part of that person. You understand? So what do you do? That's and again. That's my question to you. Yeah. You cannot retrain that brain to not do that. If I've trained you to kill. Yeah. Well, you know the thing is, is that um, in all the training that I went through in the sheriff's department, uh, it never trained you to take a person's life. Mm. But what we did as law enforcement evolved and and, and the, the complexities of law enforcement uh, yes. evolved. Uh, you had to change and you had to adapt and and you had to have policies and procedures in place uh, to deal with the complexities. And a lot of it is uh, tracking systems, mm. not only in your training, but 
in your police officers. Take, for instance, uh, we have in, in the Sheriff's Department uh, uh, a computer system that tracks not only complaints but commendations that mm. each individual officer gets. So we track their complaints and their uh, accommodations. Mm -hmm. So if, if a police officer gets uh, an inordinate amount of complaints or specific complaints, mm. let's say racism or discrimination or anything like that, got it. we're able to look at that and go, okay, he's gotten five of these in, in the last four months. Then we say, oh, we need some training here. <laughs> okay. Because they, <laughs> right. they, it's obvious he's not communicating well with with uh, these type of people or with uh, a certain area mm -hmm, where people mm -hmm. are or mm -hmm. anything like that. So right. uh, when you have a tracking system like that, then you can look back and say, okay, we have uh, retrained this person because we felt that he, they needed some training. And then when that person uh, severely violates policy, then you can get rid of that person. Right. Uh, but you, uh, a lot of these agencies don't have a tracking system, and the tracking system is good. Whether you get commendations or sure. uh, complaints, that system is good because at least you know what your police officers are doing. Right. You know, and and then on top of that, the community has to have the courage to file those complaints. Okay. To make sure they complain if they feel something was done. Uh, uh, egregiously mm -hmm. to to them or one of their children. Right. I tell my boys all the time, don't engage police officers in conversation. Let them engage you. Mm -hmm. Let them ask you for That's your key. for That's your important. registration and license. Right. right. Let them tell you what you did wrong. Right. And you have only one response. I did, officer. I'm sorry about that. And and the end. That's right. all you can say. Right. But when you want to be aggressive or overly assertive and argumentative mm -hmm. you're not going to win that's the key you're, you're not, not going to win. win you're not going to win standing right there against those two or whoever no. is there no but 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 if you um do like you're supposed to and we're going to also make sure that you know you tell us more things later that um you can win not at that moment though that doesn't mean that you've lost it you know, you know how they say you you lose the fight, but you win the battle, or something yeah. like that. So it's okay, right? Yeah. It doesn't make you less than a man. No, is what you I'm can, trying you to can say. win in court. Absolutely. And, it, and if something egregiously was done to you, you can win in the lawsuit. Absolutely. There's there's other avenues uh, that you have right to uh, address anything that you felt was done uh, uh, untoward you. Right. But you you're not going to win there. Right. You know you and uh, just d deal with that. Yeah, you're not going to win there. I honestly believe if if you have uh, police officers that can communicate and talk to people, mm -hmm. uh, I honestly believe Eric Garner could have yeah. talked him into jail. Yeah. Over a misdemeanor. Exactly. Over oh, selling cigarettes. Him, yeah, you could talk Come him on. into jail. You know. Uh, and now it's going to cost the city of New York 20-plus million dollars. Yeah, yeah. You, could, you could talk him <laughs> into jail. And and it's a misdemeanor. You write him a ticket, and you cite him out right there on the street. He goes about his business. You get in your patrol car. You continue to do your business, and everybody's happy. Right. I mean, for a misdemeanor, uh, a man to have killed, escalated to that. Yeah, yeah, escalated to that, choking some man out and and killing him. 
I, I understand why people find this unacceptable. Right. I mean, right. I find it unacceptable right. that it was done. And, and it's nothing you could uh, fix. You can't take that back now. Remember we were talking before we got on the air and we were talking about, you know, how to come into the situation as an officer and you don't start at one point. I, I, explain that to our listeners. Yeah, it's when I was taught to start at the very lowest point in engaging people. Mm-hmm. In other that words, makes sense. ma'am, sir, I don't care who you are, ma'am, sir, uh, <laughs> could you do this? Uh, could you give me this? And... Uh, when you do that and you let that other person escalate, if they want to escalate, then as they escalate, you escalate. But you start way down right. at, the, at the bottom, uh, uh, the lowest common denominator of having a conversation with a person. And, and a lot of times when you address that person, I don't care who they are, gang member or just John Q. Citizen, you'll get what you want out of those sure. people. You say, sir, can you move over here? Sir, take your hands out your pocket. Sir, uh, don't do this. Don't do that. They'll comply. But when you yell at people and and use pejorative terms and and, uh, profanity, Mm -hmm. their response is going to meet your response way up here. Exactly. And... When you don't have anything to take that person to jail on, you have nowhere to go. Nowhere. You know, and then you find yourself thinking about, well, he made me mad. How can I take him to jail? Exactly. And then you you don't have anything to take the person to jail right. for. So, it, again, it falls back to, to that communication of uh, and how you treat people. You treat people with respect mm-hmm. like you would want your relatives to be treated. Right. And if you go into that, that like that, really you'll be okay. Right. But again, uh, the way this whole Ferguson thing started, yelling at them to get out of the streets, using profanity. Mm. We don't know, but what if he said, young men, young men, come on, man, get out of the street. Right. And uh, so you don't get hit, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so we don't have any car accidents. They may have complied. Absolutely. They may have said, oh, thank you, officer, our bad, you know, we're getting out the street. We'll never know. You know, there's a really good line that I really like. I like Enemy of the State with um, Will Smith and I can't think of the guy's name with him. Anyway, Gene Hackman. Yes. Yeah. I love that show. But there's a point where um, Gene Hackman is stealing a car. Remember, he's stealing that Mercedes. Mm-hmm. And the guy's talking. He said, said walking. So <laughs> to me, that's the kind of environment that creates... I hear what you're saying, young man, but you say it as you are going, leaving here. You know, so, I mean, I know what you mean by that. As a parent, we think about, okay, I have a problem with my son or my daughter. Do I come in like this? Because there's nowhere else to go if I go this high. Or do I come right here and say, you know, you're not doing that well in school. You know, let, let's talk about it. Uh, the the police officers I uh emulated and admired the most were the ones who had great communicator skills uh, because they could just talk to anybody. Uh, uh, When I worked gangs, we had uh, two gang officers that were, and they did intelligence for us, uh, Ken Bell and Herb Jerome. Uh, They could talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
uh, we have a gang homicide, and in 24 hours they knew who did it because people would call. Communication, Because yes. they would est- they've established so <clears throat> many great relationships with people mm-hmm. that people would call and tell them, you know, Pookie shot so-and-so <laughs> over there. And, Good and, old Pookie. Yeah, ah. and, and, and they, they had those communicator skills. Another guy I worked with, uh, and he was from New York, and he still had that back east accent. He could talk to anybody, black, white, Latino, and, and again, he he talked people in into jail. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, if anybody wants to fight all the time and rip their uniform, and and anybody tells me that's what they want to do every day, they're lying to you. Oh. I didn't want my uniform ripped up. I didn't want the paperwork that goes to taking somebody to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I didn't want the, the scrutiny of uh, reviewing mm-hmm. my force that mm-hmm. I used on people. If I could just talk you into jail, I had a good day. Right. And I had more good days than bad days. That's cool. Give us a story of you talking to somebody in jail. Don't say their name. It could be, uh, you know, he might be a congressman now. <laughs> so, Yeah. I'll tell you one that, well, there were a lot of times uh, when individuals, because they were irate, especially Mm -hmm. in domestic violence type situations and and with families and stuff, and the guy was going to jail, and and I would tell him, I said, look, man, you you hit your your woman, you got to go to jail, and we could do this one way or the other. Mm Mm-hmm. But you're going to jail. Whether you go to the hospital before you go to jail. That's, that's, <laughs> that's kinda, on you. Right? Yeah, that's on you. Right. It's kind of your choice. Right. But I'd rather, oh, that's good. Yeah, I'd rather you just go to jail. And, and we get that compliance most of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, every now and then, people didn't comply. But most of the time, you could you could talk people into jail. Right. Because they, they would realize, I'm going to jail. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I just and I don't want to go to the hospital, right? You know, so, and you're not going to win, right? It's, That's the key. Yeah, you're not going to win. That and, goes back to what we were saying earlier. You know, let them tell you, do what they say, and so you can live to tell the story. Yeah, and and, and for us, it, it most days, the day that and the nights went like that. Mm-hmm. We took people to jail. There was no issues. And every now and then there was an issue. But nowadays, because of lack of communication, because of the lack of no communication of, of uh, a relationship with the communities right. that they're patrolling, I can't, for the life of me, I can't see how Ferguson, which is a predominantly African-American community, right. would accept only having three African-American police officers on that police force. I, again, I don't think they understand the um, the extent of the challenge. I mean, they do now, but, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But I don't think, like, if you asked me, and, and you know where I live, if you asked me, Roy, how many um, African-American officers, Hispanic officers, well, I don't know. You, you know what I mean? I don't know, and I probably should, and I probably should, especially now, try to find out what that looks like. But I don't think they understood. And I and I go back to, because um, it was in the newspaper a few weeks ago, a really detailed story of Ferguson. Mm-hmm. It was like five pages long in the Times. And when you read the story, there was a person, a gentleman, African-American, that was 85, and then there was a 
Anglo lady that was 85, and they both told the story from Ferguson, but through different eyes. Yeah. But you were able to get the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was like, really? So African Americans never thought that they should cross that street, whatever the street, I can't no. remember the name of it, because they were told, you can't go over there. Mm-hmm. So they just never did. But Until he, one day, one married somebody who lived on the other side, and so somebody said, oh, you mean we can't go over there? Okay, I'm going too. And so that, so nobody ever trained them to, yeah. to tell them it was okay. But see, even in this large metropolis that we live in, um, when I joined the Sheriff's Department, uh, African-Americans were 10% of, of the mm. organization. Now they're 8%. See, uh, and, and, Houston, and, we have a problem. Yeah, and and I fought uh, the African Americans in LA County, not knowing exactly. that, exactly, not demanding an answer as to why, and and why do they want to hold us to that percentage of the population at all? Exactly, because they don't hold anybody else to that percentage of the population. Right. So, wow, I didn't even know that. When you walk in and tell them. Uh, okay, we need to hire some more African Americans. They say, "Well, we have eight percent." Well, do you hold the Latinos to the same percentage? Oh. Do you hold the Caucasian to the same percentage? Right. Do you hold Asians? No, but you want to hold us to that percentage, and, and as being satisfactory because, well, we got eight percent. And you know what else throws us off as African Americans is when we see, "Oh, Ronnie's a chief." And our girl in Santa Monica, oh, so-and-so's a chief. Yeah. So we don't think, because these are African-Americans, mm-hmm. so we don't think, at least not me, because I say, okay, we're good. We're, we're up there. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, but that, that, that's not, not enough. No, it's not. It's not Absolutely enough. not. And, and if you don't have uh, enough in the pipeline right. coming up, you will never attain what I've attained. Right. Uh, there won't be another one like me. And I will tell you, when I was coming up in the organization, at one point in time, we had five African-American chiefs out of the ten. And then we had four out of the ten. Wow. And then when I made it, I was the only one. And then when my, my, my best friend, Sammy Jones, made it, we were the two. Wow. And then when we left uh, at the same time in 2008, uh, they did uh, promote my commander, uh, uh, fe- black female, Willie Jewell mm-hmm. Miller, to chief. And then there were two again. But, but, you know, that's sad that you could sit here and say one, two, one, 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 two, one. All the time. Yeah. They, and they, that's sad. They, they, or they'll pigeonhole you into a certain sure. segment of the organization mm-hmm. where that's all you can do. Uh, I was fortunate enough and blessed enough uh, that I got to do things that no one else got to do. I was the captain of the Narcotics Bureau, the first black captain, and there hasn't been one since. Mm. But I was blessed with that. God blessed me with you know, that, that job, and but that's not enough. But what do you think the real problem... Okay, we said communication. We said the communities not involved, I believe now the community is almost callous to what's going on. Because one lady said it, um, she said, I used to see things going on, and I would say, well, it's not me. 
And then she said, I would see something else going on. She said, well, it's not affecting me. And then one day when she got home, somebody called and said, they just shot your son. Yes. And then she realized that she should have been involved in those other things as well. Yes. And this is a true story. Yes. Uh, being apathetic is always going to be yeah, a problem. Yeah, you talked about that earlier. Especially in the, in the lower uh, socioeconomic areas that, that we have here mm-hmm. in L.A. County, being apathetic. There's a certain level of fear, of course, that comes with, with that apathy. But then you have to look back and say, well, how did we get here? Yeah. You know, we got here by being apathetic. We mm-hmm. got here by not caring. But you know what? If you look back at, at, at your grandparents and my grandparents, and I even have my aunt that's um, 89, and um, she was on the first debate team at Prairie View College. Mm-hmm. Those people did something, and they tried to tell us to do things. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Because it was it, it was the Sunday dinners. It was going to church and the pastor knew who you were in the family. I'm telling you, John L. Branham had over 3,000 people in that church. And Shay will tell you, he knew every person. He knew every, he could call you. If you weren't there last Sunday, he would know. But you, I'm going back to what I was going to say. You have to have a heart for the people. Yes. It's not a heart for the job. Because I know the job pays well. It pays well. It pays well. It gives a good retirement, and it gives a good cushion. A cushion. It gives a good uh, old boys club situation. It's all that. But if you're just in it for the money, we're going to keep having these Michael Brown kinds of situations. It's going to go on and on and on because nobody's dealing. It's like a Band-Aid on cancer. Well, nobody's have, dealing with the real problem. And we hire from the human race. So we hire from oh, yeah. <laughs> people Oops. that you and I see every day. Right. And a lot of those people... Uh, lack the life experience uh, to deal with being given a badge and a gun and mm-hmm. go out there and, and, and fight crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, If I had my druthers, I wouldn't hire anybody on a law enforcement agency until they were 25 or 30. Yeah. Because uh, What are the youngest that they hire it, now? It, it's 21. On yeah, oh, it's it 21. is? And, I didn't know but that. But see, when I was 21, it was a different. Oh, yeah. 21 mm-hmm. than now. Mm-hmm. The the people that were 21 when I was coming along, they were going to Vietnam. They were in the mm-hmm. service That's already. True. They're already working and gone from home already. Right. Uh, we, we've hired people, uh, and of course we hire kids that are, uh, for the most part, uh, middle to lower middle class to mm-hmm. upper class, and uh, that have no life experience never got into one fight except Mm. with their big sister and she beat them up (laughs) and all of a sudden now we give them a badge and a gun right that's right that's a good question or a good point actually Mm -hmm. for my question is is there a psychological assessment that goes into selecting officers Mm -hmm. yes there is they we go through a battery of tests not only physical but uh psychological and Mm -hmm. but it's like my academy drill instructor says. He said, five to 10% of you are going to slide through, but wow. we'll get you later. Oh. It's just, it's uh, imperfect science. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times they'll disqualify somebody that w- would have been really Perfect, good. Yeah. And then they'll let somebody in who've been really, shouldn't even be there. Right. So. It, so it, what measure, and I'm not, this is rhetorical again, what measure are they using? You know what I mean? What what mm-hmm. real measure yeah. are that, they using? That's why we have to track behavior. Mm. We have to track behavior. And, that's and, a good point. And, and, and that's why we have to have those tracking systems. Sheriff's Department has 
PPI, uh, Personnel Performance Index. Mm-hmm. You mm. look at the complaints. You look at the commendations. You mm-hmm. look at the, the training. And when this person, a red flag comes up, when this person's had too many of those type of complaints, then you start with training. Then after if that doesn't work, then you start with uh, an admin investigation mm-hmm. and then some type of discipline mm-hmm. on up to and including uh, termination from the organization. Sure. Yeah. But you have to have these things in place sure. mm-hmm. so uh, these people do not embarrass the organization and cost the organization and cost the citizens millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Yes from making uh, stupid mistakes and and bringing their own prejudices to the mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. I used to tell deputies all the time, I don't care if you're prejudiced. You just leave it in your car. When you get out that your car and you, go the, and you go in the station, uh, yes. you got to treat everybody the same. Mm-hmm. You can uh, On your way home, you can say you hate this person, that person, mm-hmm. those type of people, these type of people, all you want. When you come to work, you pin the badge on and right. treat everybody the same. That's mm-hmm. important. Yeah. Speaking of pinning the badge on, what do you think about body cameras and and uh, police officers being under constant surveillance to make sure that they aren't performing out of line? I don't have a problem with body cameras. If you're not doing anything exactly. out of policy. That's my point, too. Mm-hmm. Why? But it, it, it's not the uh, win-all or catch-all, mm-hmm. you know, with body cameras. Right. But Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, another component you, you need to have. Mm-hmm. For the tracking system? Uh, yeah, the tracking mm-hmm. system uh, uh, along with everything else. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you find out how they communicate with people. You find out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that could be uh, another point. I know, again, we know hindsight is twenty twenty, but mm-hmm. that could be a tool. Yeah. That it, it, It's not, they need not tell officers this is, this is what you got to do. This is like, yeah. you know, this is what we're doing. Helping everybody, mm-hmm. need you to be a part of this, need your buy-in, need your support. Mm-hmm. There's yours. There's, you know what I mean? That, just like you said, start there. Yeah. You don't start up here. And maybe positive reinforcement, too. That's in ter- important. In terms of the um, tracking system, you know, mm-hmm. uh, praising the cops when they do things that are, are good. And it would make their other officers want to be more like them right especially if you see some kind of monetary award or something as a chief we would always uh every uh when we'd have our every month we'd have our uh, division staff meetings we would give out commendations to people that that did a a good job Mm -hmm. uh and and talk about them and the job they did Mm -hmm. in uh, in a certain uh incident Mm -hmm. or situation Mm -hmm. so it is a tool of rewarding uh, good behavior and then uh, correcting negative behavior. <laughs> Good word. Yeah. And, and, and you need to have that. Right. Yeah. You know, but you need to have that along with the body camera. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just think, mm-hmm. I just think, as opposed to thirty-four plus years ago when you started, mm-hmm. it wasn't a need for it because you know yeah. you, you the deal corruption with your sp- probably wasn't exactly. As, it wasn't as yeah. um, adverse. Yeah. But now, um, for whatever the reason, life, you know, things are changing yeah. and have changed. We have to use what works. Yeah, I mean, I I went back to Linux as a, a as a lieutenant, and when I was there as a deputy, I went back as a lieutenant and. I found out that things had gotten worse as far as crime, and I also found out that uh, no matter how poor you were in, in, in the ghetto, everybody had a video camera. Okay. Oh. Mm, that's true, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And it was right. like, 
okay, if we don't video ourselves, they will. all we can have is their video. Exactly. And that may be edited. And that you will know, put a spin. Yeah, That's it right. Put a spin on it. So that, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. And it was, and so this whole age of technology has changed law uh, enforcement. Yeah. And, 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 and it's. It's a difficult job. Don't get me wrong. It is difficult, and I used to praise my my men and women for doing it and during difficult times and difficult situations, and 95% of them did a quality job mm-hmm. and, and, and did it every mm-hmm. day, day in and day out. Mm-hmm. But I dealt with those 5% knuckleheads <laughs> Oops. You yeah. know, all the time, too. Now, do all officers have to go through the police academy in order to be into the force? Yes. Or, okay. Yes, yes. Regardless if they're working a desk job or working yeah, dispatch or anything. Right. All of them. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, we all go through the same academy, mm-hmm. and then uh, you, you know, let's you talk about your career. The mm. psychological testing, and I know you don't maybe not know exactly, but every state has their own, or is it just one? That's the thing. We were I, I don't know oh, okay. if because mm-hmm. uh, something's wrong uh, sure. if they don't. I don't know if other states um, actually do that. Actually, do that as a part of their uh, requirement to a recruiting a, process, recruiting uh-huh. and mm-hmm. employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to go through a written test, an oral, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a background, mm-hmm. a sure, background, sure. Mm-hmm. Give for instance, uh, uh, the police officer in Cleveland that shot the twelve-year-old. Yes. Well, Cleveland hired him, but another agency terminated him because he was, they felt he was unstable. Well, how come Cleveland Never did. didn't, t- didn't mm-hmm. find that out yeah. in their background process? Mm-hmm. So you see, yeah. we would have found that out in our background process. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if that police department didn't want to say why they terminated him or released him or whatever... We wouldn't have hired him anyway. We, we, we right. would have said it, it, it was not safe to hire him. Yeah, and so uh, we you have to have those checks and balances mm-hmm. all the time when you hire people. And some of these other agencies, uh, they just want a warm body at times. Yeah, you know, that, that you know that has been trained to a certain level of competence. Right. You know, and and we just have a few more minutes, and I want you to you know kind of tell. <clears throat> our parents and um, our young people, you know, what to do if they're ever stopped or whatever. But I want to ask this other question. Who needs to be around the table to make the right changes? You know, I'm talking about your Eric Holders. Uh, you know, President Obama has a lot going on. I'm not saying him, but I mean, somebody needs to be around the table so that we can actually start putting some of these things in place and and so that we're not having the same challenge every single day. Well, I think you have to have uh, all your stakeholders in there. You have to have your community members. Mm-hmm. You have to have your people that are you know, part of our schools, our, our clergy, uh, even re- retired people like myself that uh, know the organization Absolutely. and have a sense Absolutely. of the organization. Mm-hmm. Too many times they they leave that out and they have attorneys or somebody like that and they don't know anything about the organization right. no more than I know about being an attorney. <laughs> right, right. So, that that makes sense. Yeah, so I mean I think you have to have all your stakeholders in, in there um uh, to establish change that people can see. Right. Pe- that people can quantify. Mm-hmm. Uh not just cosmetic change exactly. where you could just yeah, those take days are alcohol over. Alcohol and rub it off, exactly, and, and not have these people sitting at the table that have uh, only their own personal vested interests yeah. at heart. Mm-hmm. Right. You know the ones that you see all the time on TV. 
I'm not going to name them, but they all know who they are. <laughs> they do. And I see yes. them all the time. And it's mm-hmm. like, why are you there? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, are you getting anything done? Mm-hmm. And most of the time they aren't. They aren't. Right. So mm-hmm. you need, you need uh, a well-rounded group of individuals uh, that are selfless mm-hmm. and want to make positive change. Uh, to protect uh, and increase the quality of life of the communities right. all over the, all over California. And mean it. When you mean it, you do it. You, when you really mean it, you just do it. Mm-hmm. You just get it done. Yeah. So we have some mothers listening right now. and So tell them what to tell their young sons and daughters uh, about if a police stop. Give them three or four points, you know, before we go off the air. Don't talk until talk to. Don't engage let the officers engage you. Mm-hmm. Let them ask for your registration and, and driver's license. Let them tell you what you allegedly did wrong. Mm-hmm. And your response would be, okay, officer, I'm, I'm sorry about that. And you let it go. So you don't could, argue. Don't mm-hmm. argue. Mm-hmm. Don't be aggressive. Mm-hmm. Don't be overly assertive. Uh, for uh, there's another time to do that in our, our right. court system. Mm-hmm. You go to right. traffic court. <clears throat> there, mm-hmm. There's uh, different things, and if you see something wrong, uh, yeah, I don't mind you videoing it, but don't get into confrontations with police right. officers mm-hmm. over anything mm-hmm. because you're not going to win those. Right. Mm-hmm. But document things. Be a good witness mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to things that you feel that are unwarranted or uh or unnecessary or excessive uses of force, be a good witness. Right. Uh, but don't engage. Don't uh, be a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Don't uh, uh, get out there and start wanting to fight uh, police officers because right. you're not going to win that one. Mm-hmm. And if you have a problem with an officer, who do you contact? You you contact the watch commander of that, that shift. Okay. Uh, the watch commander is usually a lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it'll be a sergeant, but then you tell them you want to file a complaint, mm-hmm. uh, and you could either do it over the phone or you could do uh, go into the station mm-hmm. and do it. And, That's good. And then, or you could contact uh, these agencies like us that have internal affairs. Usually have a one eight hundred number. You okay. could do the complaint right to Internal Affairs, mm-hmm. and they will uh, investigate. And follow they, they, they will move that to the station okay. and 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 ensure that this is going to be investigated. That's good. And see, some people don't even know that. Right. I just think because it's a well, black. Well, I've and heard white. of Internal Affairs, but I didn't know exactly if it only was for investigating officers or mm-hmm. if it was just. Officers um, maybe corrupt within the organization or something like that. Or was it something that the public was involved in as well? No, the this is for the public if okay. they want to uh, make a complaint against a police officer that okay. they feel that uh, has abused his authority. Mm. Right, that's okay. important mm-hmm. for people to know that. Right, talk to your kids and and your young people and you know those of you who have youth groups and are part of something at your church. Make sure you tell them. You know, you may win the battle, but you'll win the war. And that's what's most important. Mm-hmm. And um, like I used to tell kids when they used to say that they were having a problem with a teacher at school, mm-hmm. I said the main thing is you don't talk back to that teacher in front of the rest of the class. Mm-hmm. You wait till everybody's gone and you say, Miss Jones, Mr. Smith, this is how I feel. You'll get a better reaction, okay? Mm-hmm. Same thing with a police officer. Why would you, you know, even think that mm-hmm. that's okay? Mm-hmm. Even though a lot of times their response is not the best, you win you know lose that battle but win the war mm-hmm. that's key and make sure that uh, these type of things are taught not only 
and by law enforcement officers, but that is passed on yes. through our clergy and through yes. our schools. Our pastor, Pastor Brian Kennedy, had me uh, do the same thing, you know, for our youth at our at our church. That's important. That to, means he cares. Tell them, mm-hmm. yeah, don't don't engage officers and 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 in, in uh, uh, banter that that's not going to be productive mm-hmm. you're not going to win that mm-hmm. you know it's uh, you're going to lose that all the time 100 percent of the time you're going to lose mm-hmm. so just leave that alone right mm-hmm. yep you're better off telling that officer thank you officer god bless you now if some of our listeners have a question how can they reach you Chief. Uh, my uh email address is uh t as in tom H as in Henry, A as in Adam, Hawk, H-A-W-K, 67 at yahoo.com. So it's Let me me put that on there. Oh, thank you. Okay, so go ahead. Spell it again. T as in Tom, Uh H as in Henry, Mm -hmm. A as in Adam, Mm -hmm. Hawk, Mm H-A-W-K, 6767 at yahoo.com. So if anyone has any questions or they could, they uh, something me. that yeah. yeah that we didn't cover here today, um, please feel free to get in touch with um, our retired um, chief, Ronnie Williams. He um, has a lot more <laughs> that he wanted to talk about, I yeah, promise well, you. we have but, to bring him back. And we will bring yeah, him back. because <laughs> I was going to get into the whole discussion about the mental health Okay, plane. so and we got that, right? too. Yeah. We got notes for that, but yes, yeah. Yeah. very good. Yes, yeah, so we have to... Um, Bring him back yeah. um, because it doesn't look like what we're going through in our communities is going away anytime soon. Unfortunately. Right. So we have to prepare our communities. And we we need to start it right here, Chief, telling people, listen in. These are the kind of things that we need to do. Then we need to start doing that. We need to start doing that right here from uh, UBN because mm-hmm. it's so important to us that we don't pick up the newspaper and keep seeing these kinds of detrimental things to our community. Yes, it is. So very good. So thanks, everybody. John, we're good. Yeah, all right. We're good. Thank you, Ronnie. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Are you kidding? We're going to have you back. That was good. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Oh, yeah, this is good. Okay. So we will get... Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.